0: Welcome to the Think Christian podcast, where we've been listening to a couple of new albums in recent weeks, hoping to hear signs that even on the rock charts, there's no such thing as secular. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net, and your host. Yes, I've had Death Cab for Cuties, Asphalt Meadows, and Marcus Mumford's Self Titled in regular rotation recently. Both of those albums were circled on the release calendar by Eric Danielson, a regular guest here, who's going to be back joining me for this show. It was Eric in fact, who suggested that one of the things the albums have in common is that they circle around this idea of innocence, innocence, lost the desire to recover it, the forgiveness that might be involved in that. So that's going to be our focus as we dig into the albums. A quick plug before we jump in, the next gathering of the TC Movie Club is coming up almost here, October 22. We're going to get together online to discuss Transcendent Spielberg. So we'll be talking about signs of transcendence in films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., Always, AI, Artificial Intelligence. So many Spielberg movies touch on this idea. To join the club and receive an invite for that gathering, go to thinkchristian.net slash movie club. That's thinkchristian.net slash movie club. I've also got a video essay up at the Think Christian YouTube channel to start us thinking about Transcendent Spielberg. Head on over to YouTube, search for Think Christian, and you'll find that. Okay, let's bring in Eric Danielson for Side A of this music episode to talk Death Cab for Cutie. Happy to have Eric Danielson here to discuss, among other things, the new Death Cab for Cutie album, Asphalt Meadows. Now, this is the band's 10th album, so there's a long track record for songwriter and lead vocalist Ben Gibbard and company. Tell me, Eric, how does Asphalt Meadows compare to their previous work? Does it confirm some things for you? Does it reveal new things? Where are you at with this one?
1: Yeah, so at the risk of Death Cap for Cutie fans turning off the podcast within the first minute. I will say that I was not. There's so many like really fervent early adopters of their music that came in late '90s. I did not, for whatever reason, really have the band on my radar until. Here's where people are going to turn this off. Um, until they went, you know, major label with plans in 2005. And now I've certainly done my diligence since then and gone back and listened to the the early stuff. They have had such an interesting trajectory, and and for so long really the heart of the band was that kind of push and pull between Ben Gibbard writing the songs and then longtime guitarist and multi-instrumentalist Chris Walla producing and kind of shaping the sound from there. And of course, Chris Walla left the band. I think he played through the record Kintsugi that came out around 2015. But then as soon as the record was done, he he was no longer the band. To me, this is the... Best thing for sure that they've done since plans i would say you know 15 years 17 years ago i like a lot of the things that they've done since then i I think there's really cool sections especially of the records like narrow stairs and kintsugi but this really does to me sound the most dynamic and engaged that they've been since chris Walla left and so i think you know it's not my favorite death cab record but i really love it and i think it really deserves a spot maybe if not in the very top tier of their stuff right below that. Um I think it's it's one of the better things that they've done in a long time.
0: Okay, you sound like you know your stuff to me and I trust I trust you have done that homework and that's high praise. So, good to hear. I I enjoyed I'm by no means an expert. It, you know, have listened to them from the side throughout their career when things would pop up and get radio play and so forth. So, yeah, have not done that sort of deep dive, but Listening to this album did really click with it. And so what you're saying makes sense to me in terms of it being one of their stronger outputs. Thematically now, you did see a notion of innocence at play in this album, and we did want to circle around that idea on this episode. So maybe tell me a little bit about where and how you hear that being explored in, in the songs here.
1: Yeah, and I think that's not... An unusual thing for for ben Gibbard to to explore in his songs i think perhaps i was just thinking about it a little bit more at the time so it it really struck me but you know there's there's quite a few moments in the record where he is sort of either naming the loss of innocence that that his you know narrator his his speaker sees or naming times when things felt innocent and and kind of you know just by by kind of implication saying it's clearly not that way now so you know a song like Roman Candles when he talks about, you know, everything used to feel like a flame, but now it's a struggle to feel anything.
2: I used to feel everything like a flame. Now it's a struggle just to feel anything. To feel
1: anything. Or, you know, moments where he discusses, you know, a kiss kind of feeling like a prayer and then it dissipating right away. You know, there's a there's a great in the great early lines on the song Here to Forever, he talks about you know watching all these old movies from the 50s and then immediately says, and I recognize that everybody on the screen is dead now. You know, And so there's all these moments where he's saying, you know, here's what used to be, here's what was. And I think doing a great job of exploring was that all that I thought it was at the time too. I think he's, he's kind of casting some doubt back on that, but saying, here's, here are these things that, that seemed pure to me in an earlier time, and, and I recognize that they're not... They either don't exist anymore or they don't feel the same way. And, and then I do think, and, and I don't know, we can kind of get into this as we go, but there's a lot of really interesting ideas about how to recover that or how to get back to that. And I think those ideas are mixed with a, a real sense of resignation that it's not completely possible, but the sense of of not wanting to give up on the idea that there are really beautiful and pure and good things in the world that can be preserved to some degree. So yeah, I think it's all over the record. I think it's all over Gibbard stuff. I even, you know, in a song like "I Miss Strangers," you know, that that feels like kind of a response, you know, indirectly to the pandemic itself, and just saying, you know, there was kind of this time when I used to be able to roam about the world more freely, you know, as a musician, just in daily life, and now I'm not around people I don't know anymore, you know, and and kind of losing even that very specific bit of whether you want to call it innocence or purity or what have you so yeah i think i think it's all throughout the record and it's just manifest maybe in some new ways than than on
0: previous death cab uh projects i do want to circle back to that idea of recovery because i think that's important uh in this album for sure but you did name two of the songs that jumped out at me as well on this topic roman candles and i miss strangers I would maybe mention um, Wheat Like Waves with those two as well in this sense of I think nostalgia comes into play here is is also a little bit what we're talking about for times gone by and then having, as you say, an innocence that's associated with that. I think two of those songs actually recall driving around in old cars and so there's this yearning for something that's simpler in the past that represents a sort of innocence when those songs look back. But yeah, Roman Candles particularly stood out to me uh, in this angle. The music to me too, Eric, reflects, I think, this in its mixture of delicacy. And I think about Ben Gibbard's voice here, there's a fragility to his voice. So you have that delicacy that brings to mind the innocent past, but then you get the overwhelming drama of these crunchy, fuzzy guitars, which sound like this intrusion of the complicated present. And a lot of the music here struck me as a back and forth between those two sonic qualities. You mentioned the production being at play and maybe intention a little bit with the lyrics at times or working with it alongside it. So is this a, a quality that's always been a part of their music for you?
1: I think so. I mean, I think the stuff that I respond to most, you know, there are certainly songs, I think especially early on. And again, I, I really do like a lot of the early stuff, but that would fit more. I so hesitate anymore to use real genre tags as, as like absolutes, but, you know, fits a little bit more in kind of a late 90s emo style that that maybe is a little bit more open. But I, I really think, especially over the last couple of decades, they've really played a lot with, I guess what I would call purposeful noise, you know, trying to find places where they can kind of disrupt the sonics, especially knowing how, how delicate, like you said, Gibbard's voice is. And often even the guitars can be really delicate and then something will kind of intrude. I think one of my favorite moments on the record musically is on... Roman candles where Ben Gibbard is singing this very light, floating, wordless, you know, awoo syllable. And then there's just kind of these thunderous drums underneath. And it really does bring out that that tension, that kind of push and pull between what is light and pure and kind of pristine and then knowing that there's kind of chaos happening all around and through it.
0: So let's turn to the lyrics a little bit more. I know you've mentioned them already, but I was intrigued about the way Gibbard likes to evoke a sense of place quite often. There's even a song here called Rand McNally, referring to the map company. And I wanted to connect that idea to this fascinating essay on innocence that I came across in the April 2021 issue of Comment Magazine, written by Kirsten Sanders, and she clarifies that as Christians who hold an understanding of original sin, innocence is not a state that we can return to in this life. You you already kind of hinted at this, Eric. Sanders describes it this way. The Christian story is that the hiker is already lost and left to herself would remain that way perpetually. It is not simply that we have chosen wrongly, but that we cannot choose well, for the faculty of our choosing has already been compromised. So again, that's Kirsten Sanders in Comment Magazine. I'll link to that in show notes for this episode i do wonder if this notion accounts for some of the lostness that i heard on the songs on asphalt meadows and maybe we differ a little bit here i i sense this longing for a return to a better place or time i don't know if they do recognize fully that that isn't possible on our own as fallen human beings They, they often they seem to be grasping for that possibility still Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know, maybe that's too pessimistic of a take that I'm offering here and maybe there's more of that turn and it's a longing for a return that you were talking about. Where where do you kind of land on that, Eric?
1: Yeah, I I really have gone back and forth a little bit on how I think about this and and that Sanders essay was was really helpful food for thought. She she talks a lot in that essay about the idea of amending or repairing instead of like a return to innocence. And I think certainly I mean, for a band that named one of their albums "Kintsugi," which is you know this Japanese art of repairing pottery but still letting the cracks show, I think that there certainly is some sense of that in, in Death Cab's work. I, I think the the feel that came to me, uh, it really was twin twin kind of emotions that came to me through this album. One is is that resignation again that that probably we can't. Fully get back, and what we had before may not have been everything we thought it was, but but also this sense, you know, he he talks about this Rand McNally is probably my favorite song so far as I've listened through the record. And there's this repetitive line of of not letting the light fade. I
2: won't let the light fade. I won't let the light fade, falling asleep in
1: And I think that there's also a sense on this death cap, death cap record, at least for me, of we may not return to a, a place of true purity, but maybe we can, I don't know, like find the innocence within ourselves a little bit. Maybe we can manifest it a little bit internally and reveal where it exists, even if it's not all around us. You know, Maybe we can find pockets of it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so I think that in some weird way, that feels consonant to me with with what Sanders is saying, is that we're not going to fully restore that idea, or, or maybe it's even the wrong idea to begin with, but that we can begin, you know, if everything is on the process to being redeemed, if everything is kind of being renewed, you know, a little bit at a time, one day at a time, maybe we can find little glimpses of that in, in our everyday lives. And I think there is some grasping for that in in Asphalt Meadows, whether or not, you know, Gibbard and the band really fully recognize that, that it's not entirely possible.
0: Yeah. That's the distinction between offering some hope amidst the realism as opposed to like despair. Um, yeah. So, so listening for, for little echoes of that on the album as well. Anything else you wanted to touch on? You you gave us your favorite song, um, gave us some good history about the band. Anything else worth notable um, we should mention?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think again, there's just so many, I was kind of listing through all the songs that that I. You know thought we could touch on and and you know i think you, you brought up wheat like waves that's another favorite of mine because it, it pairs so nicely with roman candles this idea that there's a line in there that you know we can't hold these things too tight these things we you know we feared we were breaking this idea that if you try to hold on to something long enough it's either going to blow up in your hands or you're going to break it we that we were that's a really interesting concept to have in the back of our minds as we discuss innocence, you know, is 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 this thing that we're trying to hold on to and preserve, you know, if we hold it too tightly, are, are we really actually going to lose it? And then I really like the the way the record ends. It, it is such a delicate balance in their music between hope and either despair or, or just kind of a, a sense of loss. But there's the last song on the record is called I'll Never Give Up On You. And it really feels like him declaring that even if all these kind of trappings of innocence that he's looking for, you know, may not exist anymore, that there are still people that he loves that he can, you know, stake some hope in and and really find some fulfillment in. And so the idea that even if, you know, the world that we live in is not an innocent place, whether it ever was or not, that there are people that we can be connected to that will help us see the good and and the beautiful. But I'll never give up,
0: never give up. I'll never give up on you.
1: I don't know. I just I just really appreciate it. As someone, and we've talked about this on the podcast, I feel like a lot, but as someone who really feels that push and pull a lot and really feels that tug of like, are, are things are things able to be beautiful or are they
0: not? And really wrestles with that. I feel like Gibbard is a good guide through those emotions. Yeah. And you can't say an album is entirely bleak if it does end with a song titled, I'll never give up on you, which yeah. does not feel ironic. It does not sound no. ironic to me at no. all. So Yeah. All right, well, Eric's going to stick around, and when we come back, we'll consider Innocence as it's explored in Marcus Mumford's solo debut, self-titled.
2: That was just a little bit of Tower of Power's Clean Slate, a deep cut from their breakthrough self-titled 1973 album, the same one that brought us the unforgettable What Is Hip tune that will never go away. And that classic funk soul R&B masterpiece is just one example of the way innocence, or at least various concepts of innocence, have haunted songwriters and artists for decades. From desperate, even humorous pleas of innocence, despite obvious evidence to the contrary, to thoughtful, reflective, or even journalistic explorations of the concept of being found not guilty, modern songwriters, like the poets, playwrights, authors, and painters before them, have been obsessed with the idea of innocence since maybe forever. Some offer laments for lost innocence, some praise the beauty of innocence, some rail against innocent victims prosecuted unjustly for crimes they did not commit. Some dig into the concept of innocence itself, questioning it, contemplating it, and breaking it down. Hello, I'm your resident musicologist, playlist curator, and cultural confessor, John J. Thompson, and once again I have collected a batch of songs that reflect this episode's theme of innocence, directly and indirectly, from a wide variety of genres and eras. You'll hear everything from classic R&B and soul, to old school rock, to new pop, country, indie, and alternative tracks. A bit later in the show you'll hear another of the songs, the sublimely quirky Innocence from Bjork, and it's truly just the tip of the iceberg. Find the tunes either by clicking on the link in one of our emails or by searching for the Think Christian profile on Spotify. You'll see this mix right there on the list. And for a while, it will also be in the latest episode mix as well. And you'll be able to find it listed separately alongside all of the other mixes I've curated for you. And of course, the songs have been added to the massive archive mix as well. Until next time, this is JJT saying, Hey, it wasn't me. I'm innocent.
0: Josh Larson here, back with Eric Danielson. And Eric's going to catch me up on Marcus Mumford, the state of his previous band, the circumstances surrounding his debut solo album, self-titled, and what it sounds like. So what would you say, Eric? Is this the makings of a strong solo career ahead for Mumford? I will
1: lay down my cards immediately and say I'm not sure that it is. I will I will give an incomplete on that grade. I, you know, I I'm very clearly who I am. Uh, I am a white, you know, grew up in the evangelical church guy who is in his early 40s. And so I felt pretty hard for that first Mumford & Sons record. There was so much spiritual content in the lyrics. And I still think some really fascinating lyrical ideas. And it, it kind of felt like the anthemic vibes of uh you know youtube but with banjos and so there was a lot to gravitate toward there and then i kind of immediately felt like things got a little stale for that band as they as they put out another record that to me really sounded pretty much exactly the same so i had kind of this interesting pivot moment with mumford that, that probably is not fair but i'll try to describe it briefly in 2014 he was part of a group including elvis costello jim james Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes and Rhiannon and Giddens that put together a record called The New Basement Tapes. It's a really good record for folks that haven't heard it. I don't feel like it got quite the appreciation that it should have, but it's I feel like projects like this crop up at least once a decade. They took a bunch of old unfinished Bob Dylan lyrics and and finished the songs and recorded them. And his contributions to that record, I just thought were really beautiful and I remember thinking at the time like if he ever goes in this direction, like I'm all in. This would be this is this is what I want him to do and i feel like there were some gestures toward that on the third mumford and sons record wilder mind where they they really stripped back kind of the acoustic stuff a lot more space in the music not as not as kind of feverish with the rhythms a little bit more of just kind of an arena rock album and i think that record is is good not great i think it holds up better than some of the reviews at the time but i don't i don't think by any means it's a great record and so we fast forward to now and in these put out self-titled and i really just hoped it was going to really hit that basement tapes groove, which was electric, but pretty clean and pretty spacious and really just let his vocals. He has a very powerful voice, is a very soulful voice, really just let his vocals do the work. And I think it's just a mixed bag musically. I think there are songs that really begin quietly and deserve to stay quiet and he keeps them that way. He preserves that feeling. And then there are songs that, that feel honestly as formulaic as some of the early Mumford & Sons stuff to me, but just in a different direction where it feels like he's not sure or or his, you know, the folks that he's working with are not sure what to do with the song. And rather than preserve something really intimate and kind of clean, just throw a bunch of noise in at the end. And it's meant to, I think, evoke kind of this very emotional, chaotic feeling, but it just feels kind of plastered on to me. So I see the seeds, and there's several really great songs on this record, but I see the seeds of a really good direction for him it just feels like every time he he really inches up to the edge of that he kind of bails out there's so much on the record we're talking about which i know we will but it just it left me a little bit disappointed in the end so
0: yeah that's fair as you're describing it it seems like it's similar to what we were talking about with asphalt meadows in terms of the tension between vocals and harsher instrumentation but maybe not as natural or as not as well paired something a little different than that i, I would agree with you i described i think the guitars there is intrusive but in an intentional way and maybe they're more dropped down here with perhaps a little less care is what you're hinting at for me I, I still think that voice is at the center of the album though and maybe it's just because those sparser songs are the ones that have stuck with me where it's pretty much his voice which i agree is you know probably his his strongest gift it's very warm it's resonant it's surrounding it's also a contrast to to gibberts right um the incredibly different vocal style so uh, i did appreciate that when it was at the forefront of the album and i think that's especially true for the opening track cannibal which is a very you know content wise difficult song this is this is a sparse account of the psychological torment that Mumford still experiences over being sexually abused as a child, which is something he revealed publicly with this album. Certainly, you know the idea of innocence we're talking about applies here when we think of children being betrayed in this way. I don't know, I feel a little out of my depth, to be honest, to kind of speak to using that sort of language in this context. I don't know that I have the authority to do that, or even if innocence is the right term. But I did think it's interesting that Cannibal ends with this refrain, and this speaks to the musical quality you were talking about, Eric. It's really a howl. It builds up to this howl where Mumford expresses this desire to, the phrase he uses, begin again. And I think that does get us back to this idea of innocence, what that word means for Christians who understand that it's not a state we can get back to on our own begin again is is maybe a slightly different way of thinking about that. So feel free to speak to that within the context of Cannibal, but I think there are other areas as well on the album that connect with this notion of innocence and repair and original sin. So maybe just to share a little bit about where you saw that popping up here on self-titled.
1: Yeah. So I think, again, there are several songs that I do really appreciate. And I think by far the strongest Songs on the album are, are its bookends, which are are cannibal, and then um, the song "How," which is features some absolutely gorgeous uh, harmonies from Brandi Carlile, um, that really picks that thread back up. That really, they're, there's a, they're they're meant to be bookends for sure. And I, I think again, I I would echo what you said that it's it's a difficult sit, especially cannibal. And I would I would encourage listeners to really consider whether they want to sit through that song before they do it. And I'm certainly, you know, I'm someone who's experienced a, abuse in his life, and I know enough to know that I will never tell someone else how they should walk through that. That's you know that that's a very personal and that needs to be a very distinct and individual process. But how I do think it relates back to what we're talking about, he he really seems to key in on this idea that if he can forgive the person who did this to him, then not only is he releasing that person from something, but he's releasing himself from something.
2: And I'll forgive you now as if saying the words help me know how
1: And again, I, I can't tell anyone else how to think about forgiving someone who's hurt them that badly. Where it relates to again, with what we're talking about is that I think he is trying to manifest some beauty and some purity in himself and saying, you know what, my circumstances have not allowed this to happen. I will not be able to return to some state of, you know, true innocence, you know, not knowing what I know, not having experienced what I experience. But if I can harness some beauty inside myself, you know, as I work through this, then I've gained something, you know, I've, I've been able to, to reclaim something as my own, whether or not, you know, the rest of the world kind of lines up behind that. And so I really do appreciate that idea and I appreciate, I think it is in how, where he says essentially like, I'm going to forgive you, but I, I hope that even just by saying the words, I'll I'll understand how to do that. You know, he ends on a note of like, I'm not fully sure how to make that happen, but I'm going to keep trying. And I think just that idea that I'm, I'm not going to let what you did to me keep me from finding what's beautiful about myself. So I think there is a reclamation there. There is a redemption there, even if it's not the story that we would want someone to have to
0: write for themselves. How functions so much like a bookend and it almost makes me think sometimes this happens with albums right if you took away three or even four songs and and left what was behind you'd have a perfectly constructed work of art and I wonder if that might be partly the case here just because those bookends do work with each other quite so well I think the other song you know that I definitely want to include. If that was going to be the focus, would probably be grace, which interestingly is the second song, so follows directly after Cannibal. And thanks for you know calling out that as a as a warning for even listening to to Cannibal, depending on um, your experiences and perspective. I think that's I think that's right. Um, but following that really difficult song is Grace, and I think it's a beautiful one as well. And I think the lyrics speak very much to what we're talking about here. That partly, he sings. There will come a time when it won't feel just like living it over and over with the weight of the shadow on your shoulders, and I hear there's healing just around this corner. Yes, there will come a time. You know, that applies, of course, you have to think partly to Mumford's own experience, but to all of ours, right? When it comes to this idea of recognizing that we are damaged in some way, we've been damaged in some way. I think it's this idea of healing that does stand out to me and kind of connects again to that Kirsten Sanders understanding of Christianity being less about achieving innocence or regarding ourselves as an innocent person and more about experiencing repair, which everyone does need in some way so I do think that's one of the highlights on on the album as well is grace
1: yeah I agree and that I think just to to like for a moment of a little bit less gravity that's that's the musical feel that I really want him to have like the feeling on grace I think that really goes back to that I I can't this is not the point of this podcast but people really should listen to the new basement tapes it's really good <laughs> no let's go for it it's great but, but yeah I I really appreciate that I think one other song that I would even tie in there too, and, and this may be a particular encouragement for some of our listeners to check out at least part of the album, is, is I think it's the, the penultimate song, Stone Catcher, that he does uh, with Phoebe Bridgers. And that song, again, it, it really hits that idea of repair. He talks about, there, there's a line in the song that that literally says, all that we can hope is that we suffer well. And then kind of talks about, let me be someone who collects stories and has something to pass on to other people through my suffering, and again, I, I really want to tread lightly there because I think so much damage has been done within the church um, when we try to tell people what the purpose of their suffering is. You know, I think we try to like do that for people, oftentimes in our just own discomfort and not knowing exactly what to say and how to sit with someone. And so we try to say, well, clearly there's a reason for everything, and 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 maybe even we hint at what we think that reason is. But but I do think there's something beautiful in saying, if I have to go through this let me mine it for whatever beauty exists let me mine it for whatever help i can give another person let me find whatever grace and mercy is embedded here because i can't choose to go back and and you know not live through these things i can't do that that's not possible but let me then find you know what what good i can take for myself and what good i can pass to you know a fellow traveler on the road. And I think Stonecatcher is a really beautiful example of that. I think there's, for as much as I'm, you know, maybe it sound a little bit down on on the music of this record. I really do appreciate the way that he sort of lets people into this as a process. It's not someone who's written a record and has said, "I have, I've completely worked through this. I figured it all out." Here, here are the you know ten lessons I learned in in song form. It really is a process. It really is in so many ways. It feels like a beautiful version of this, but of thinking out loud and trying to find you know, what good can can come of all of this and, and where he can begin to to forgive himself for things that he didn't even do, but also to forgive someone else. And yeah, I just really appreciate that that vulnerability, which again, Mumford's voice is a really wonderful instrument to deliver that in. So
0: yeah, it's a nice match. So you've mentioned two of the the guest singers on here, Brandy Carlisle, Phoebe Bridgers. Did that element, I think there's two, at least two other mm-hmm. guest appearances. Did that element work well for you? Brings, or, or did you think maybe that was relied on a little bit too much?
1: You know, I think some worked better than others. I, I like the other appearances. I think Claro is one of the singers and, and maybe Monica Martin is the other. It was kind of backloaded in the track list, which felt a little weird to me sequencing wise. But I do think, you know, from as much as we've talked about his voice, there's something really cool about, there is kind of a raw quality to his voice that it was. I feel like is kind of like Sealed or tempered by those other singers, and especially on that Brandy Carlisle song. I mean, their voices just fit so beautifully together. I could honestly, you know, handle a, a full record of of uh, you know Marcus Mumford and Brandy Carlisle duets. But I don't know. I don't want to ever read too much into things. But I guess that's part of my job as someone who writes about the arts. I I, I do feel like there's some sense in which it feels like toward the end of this kind of t- album long process that he's brought in other people to kind of process with him or to to be part of that process. And I do think that there's something really lovely about that, that it doesn't feel like it's his journey to walk completely by himself.
0: Yeah, I like that. And that also might explain the sequencing because, sure. as you mentioned, it is is—it is a little strange that they are pretty much packed together. I think yeah. there might be a little breathing space between one or two of them. Well, thank you very much, Eric, for sharing as much as you Always do, including your own vulnerability. I always appreciate that. You did sure. double duty on this episode <laughs> as well. So what else have you been up to that you could tell listeners about? Is there, is there maybe a new Basement Tapes essay you wrote a couple <laughs> years ago that we can link to and they can uh, check out?
1: I don't think there is, unfortunately, but I would implore everybody to go back and listen to the song Kansas City, which is one of Mumford's features on that
0: record. All right. Well, yeah, thanks again, Eric. Always love talking to you. Glad we can do this and we'll do it again. All right. My pleasure. Thanks. That's some of the song Innocence, appropriately, comes from Bjork and was on her 2007 album Volta. Not her latest, which just released, Fasora. I'm eager to get into that latest one soon. Long time Bjork fan here. There's another song that grapples with this idea of innocence. Psalm 51, a song of David. I think verses 9 through 10 especially capture our desire to be made innocent again, to be repaired. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the innocent one in our place, I think answers that prayer, as well as the prayers we heard on Asphalt Meadows and Self-Titled. Thanks to Eric Danielson for listening along with me to those two albums. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric Danielson, We're on Twitter, too, of course, as well as Facebook. Find us at ThinkChristian. Looking ahead for Think Christian, don't forget to join us online on October 22 for the next gathering of the TC Movie Club, where we'll be considering Transcendent Spielberg. To sign up and receive a meeting link for that gathering, go to thinkchristian.net slash movie club. And head over to the ThinkChristian YouTube channel, where you can find my video essay, looking at signs of transcendence in the films of Steven Spielberg. For those of you who might not know this, you can also find video versions of this podcast on the Think Christian YouTube channel. So just search for Think Christian on YouTube. If you are watching us there right now, well, you did miss out on a couple of tracks from the Spotify playlist that John J. Thompson compiled for this episode, all around the idea of innocence, search for the Think Christian playlist on Spotify to hear those. One more quick thing. If you could give us a review on Apple podcasts, that would really help us reach new listeners. A star rating is great, but a couple of lines, some words, some thoughts are helpful, particularly. So go ahead and do that for us. Shouldn't take long and does help to raise our profile on the platform. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our audio engineering post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Bassler. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks to consider how another corner of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith.